Melissa, it's October. Yes, Kyle, it, it is October, but this is the super-sized September edition of the Let's Talk Club Management podcast. It's our September review episode. It is. <laughs> September is the busiest, I feel like the busiest, second busiest month of the year after the month in which we have conference. So indeed. indeed. And, and to Melissa's point, September was indeed very busy. We covered a lot of ground. We had several events happening. Um, and we were really excited because we kicked the month of September off with an in-person leadership legislative conference, which was, I mean, it felt like it had been forever in the making, but it was very exciting to see people's faces or like a third of their faces <laughs> from behind masks. But it was nice to see people in person again and, and get to, um, you know, connect in in person in dc so it's, it was a busy month it was a busy month and not only did we have llc but also a number of our business management institutes i got to head down to atlanta to visit with bmi club management um, <clears throat> which is held at um, georgia state and as well as features some really cool events at atlanta athletic club and cherokee town and country club uh, so great a lot of great times this month for our members we also had our chef summit chef out in summit. kentucky first one sold out activity so you know really cool month a lot of jam-packed things and the fun continues in october but we wanted to take you back into llc and give um, everybody a look at two of our uh, really cool presentations first up our president and ceo jeff morgan gives his annual biannual State of the Association at LLC every year, and he gives us a little preview of that. Um, as well, we got to talk to a, a dynamic speaker from LLC. So let, let's roll those. Let's listen to Jeff, and we'll hitch back with our, our featured LLC speaker. Okay. Well, we are thrilled to have our president and CEO with us today, Jeff Morgan, F-A-S-A-E-C-A-E, who is holds the distinction of being the most frequent guest here on the Let's Talk Club Management <laughs> podcast for many reasons, which we don't need to enumerate. It's because he's but the we best are just, guest, um, obviously. Yeah. The most knowledgeable absolutely ceo absolutely. that we've ever had on the podcast i don't know <laughs> uh we just wrapped our leadership and legislative conference and jeff gave his semi-annual state of the association so we wanted to recap that for our listeners today thank you jeff for being with us well thank you melissa and kyle it's great to be here and yes i guess i am the, the most uh, the guest that comes on the most, but that's probably a good thing. If I'm, I'm the CEO, that's probably, that means that that seems like it's working. So I'm glad to be here. We're always happy to have you. <laughs> well, let's get, let's just jump right in. Um, since you gave the state of the association speech a couple of weeks ago, do you want to just give our listeners a rundown of how is CMA doing? It's been a weird couple of years, a weird 18 months, but, uh, we're still here. So what's going on? We, we are still here and it has been weird for us and all our members. It is, it has been, you know, 20 months or 18 months of us all dealing with a work environment that's different and dealing with a home environment that's different and different 
different and dealing with a society that's different. So um, just like our members, we are working through it. But CMA is here and we have, um, you know, with each change in the pandemic, we have adjusted and, and made our way um, by being adaptable and that overused word of pivoting when we needed to, to do that to make sure that we were servicing and serving our members. And so, um, you know, I'd, I'd say at this point, we're all ready for this to be over, but we've done pretty well. And, uh, you know, case in point, I guess, you know, when the pandemic hits and, and initially we stopped uh, our spring events last year, which was 2020. And by the fall, and actually in the summer, and I say we didn't stop our events, we moved everything online um, to where we were doing a lot of webinars, but we stopped our BMIs. And then by the fall, we had gone to continuing to do stuff virtually, and a lot of that included our BMIs, and um, we had a conference uh, that was uh, virtual, and by May, we started to come back out of this and be back in person. And we continue to be in person and continue to work around the pandemic, but uh, you know we now are at that point of where we're starting to strategically say, what does post-pandemic look like, which is a combination of some things and many things in person, but some things online, and um, you know I think that's good because it, it gives us a whole new competency that we never had before the pandemic. But overall, we are making our way through it. You know, I think financially is always a question that everybody wants to ask, and Financially, we have uh, also made our way through it, just like many of you in your clubs. We had some loss of revenues, uh, which was expected, and we had to make corresponding adjustments uh, to that uh, in reduction of costs. And we lost a couple people early in the pandemic, and um, we have been rebuilding that and actually have a couple new staff members on who you actually met um, in the past last podcasts with Sonia and Kate, and we're happy to have them here. And, um, you know, we're financially, we're on solid ground and we'll end in the black here in a month, October 31st. And we're happy about that. And you know, our big activity going forward is we're focused on World Conference. Uh, and we're excited to, to be together in San Diego. But overall, we're doing well. And probably just like all of you, we're all tired and exhausted and can't wait to, to be back to normal or whatever that new normal is. I going to say, I don't know what normal is anymore. <laughs> I, don't so know, I don't know if we'll ever go back to things the way they were, but, you know, we've, we've made adjustments. And uh, I think that that, I think what you said, Jeff, about um, gaining new competencies through this pandemic in terms of what we've done here as a staff um, is absolutely true. Uh, you know, like putting things, making things virtual and really kind of trying to think about how we can present our programs in a way that is still valuable um, and engaging and interactive for our members has been, it's been a challenge, but I think we've done, done well <laughs> in what we've created and are continuing to learn and improve upon that. And, so, and Kyle, and I don't say it enough, and I probably should say it more because we're here for our members, but I'm extremely proud of all of our team because our team really came through and and we all had to do it virtually, but um, we adapted very quickly. And so I'm I'm so proud to to work with the people that I work with, including the two of you, because you know this was definitely something that we all had to to live through together and and work to make make it success. And I think the 
that team spirit and that culture that we had before the pandemic has helped us carry it through. And so I, I am uh, eternally grateful to uh, our CMA team for making everything happen. Go team. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's, it's what we're here for. And, and there wouldn't be an association without our members. And, um, you know, that's what our job is, right, is to put, put things forward and, and make sure that we can keep bringing, bringing that to our, our people. So in all of that talk about the last 18 to 20 months, let's look forward and let's talk about what's new for CMAA. What's coming down the pike? Well, let me talk about a couple things that are, are new just in the past few months. One is we launched a new member application process that came online around Labor Day. And so we are trying to become more like Amazon or trying to become more like every other business out there um, that's in the 21st century and, and make things easy. And to become a member was never easy. Um, you had process to go through with the chapter and uh, you know, multiple checks and all this. And we've streamlined that and made that very easy to join. So we hope some of those listeners that are not members will join CMA. So that's one. Um, second, we just got done last week with the Chef Summit, and that was new, and we did that in person and was very well received. And different than maybe some of the other chef events um, that are in the marketplace, we really focused on the, the business competencies and the leadership competencies, which are so important um, for chefs to be part of that. And it was a great success, and uh, you know, we're looking forward to learning from some of the the things that we can do better in the, the, the next one, but we can't wait to do another one of these. Um, something else that's new that is not yet released but is coming um, very quickly is a position paper on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this has been something that CMA has been working through really throughout, you know, started in the pandemic, and we have a task force, and that task force uh, brought up a lot of good uh, information and ideas, and then um, ultimately we had a facilitator come in with to our board and work with our board, and they approved a position uh, during LLC at our board meeting, and we're pretty close to getting that sent out to the membership, but it helps to, to create a framework by which we can start to focus at CMAA to, to support diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. And as you would suspect, and I'm, I don't want to get ahead of it, but it focuses on our core competencies, which are education and community and those things that, that we do very well. So those are a few things that are new. Uh, the, the, you may have seen a draft of the club key performance indicator task force or key performance indicator white paper, and that's getting ready to come out in its final form. Um, there's a case study that's going to be part of that, but I think that's something that will be well circulated among club boards. And so, uh, so those are some things that are, are new that have been going on during the pandemic and over the past few months. Awesome. So, Jeff, what are you most looking forward to? What am I most looking forward to beyond the end of the pandemic or when, when officially we'll declare it to be an end? Um, okay, we're all looking you know, forward I, to that. So. Yeah, that's, that's sort of is the unsaid thing that we all don't need to say. But I think there's a few things that are going on that we're excited about. One is a new website. Uh, it's been something that's been in the works for a while. Uh, I remember when I was interviewed seven years ago, I said, we need a new website. But 
uh, <clears throat> it's not that it's taken seven years to build a website. It, it's taken seven years to put all the pieces behind um, our existing infrastructure to be able to do a website. So I'm excited for that. Uh, I'm also excited we have a new CF strategic plan that was developed uh, in this past year and I'm, we're seeing some fruits of that already in the form of we had a scholarship task force and that scholarship task force uh, ha has taken a real good look at how we do our scholarships and has some really cool ideas on how we can evolve our scholarships for the foundation and so more to come on that. Uh, as well as we closed out a student task force, I guess it was about a year ago, and there's some recommendations there. I think what I'm most excited about is sort of the internship process uh, in the sense that we are trying to come up with a standardized internship program or template um, to make sure that our students that are doing internships get well-rounded internships and aren't just sort of free labor or very cheap labor for um, our clubs. Uh, also, I'm excited for we're starting a strategic planning process for CSFA, the Club Spawn Fitness Association, that will take the next eight months or so. And, you know, it really is going to start with what is the future of, of fitness and wellness in clubs? And so, how do we uh, bring CSFA around to, to serving that? And so, I'm excited about that as well. Uh, I'm certainly excited about San Diego. Uh, I can't wait to see members. I have had the good fortune of traveling a, a bunch uh, and seeing members. And then a lot of times I've been in the first event that members have been back together during the pandemic. And it is just so cool to see everybody together because it's a big homecoming and it's to some degree it's a big party because people are just so happy to be with each other. A little teaser for San Diego is during the pandemic, we've been working on comp future conference sites. And I am expecting that when I stand on stage, or I know that when I stand on stage in San Diego, I will be able to announce conference locations through 2027. And so I'm excited for that because everybody is always excited to know where we're going in the future. And I can tell you that um, there's some cities that we haven't seen in a long time that are likely to come out on that list, but we're in contract negotiations. So I can't say anything more other than I'm, I'm excited for that. Awesome, awesome. I know that is well um, guarded information and we look forward to just sharing that out with everybody after conference. So you've mentioned that you've been on the road a lot. Um, recently visiting with members and we know that we've seen a huge shift in how clubs and also associations are operating um, in this mid-pandemic era if you will um, and you know even for our podcast you know we, we changed the way that we our frequency and and things that are definitely here to stay you know you'll be hearing our podcast more frequently than pre-pandemic but jeff what are you seeing and hearing from members when you're on the road about what they're doing that's here to stay yeah, I think I'm hearing, you know, there's some good and there's some bad. I think, you know, top of top of mind is is that you know, we're all continuing to deal with the pandemic and safety is an issue. And right now, as we continue to move through this pandemic, there's a debate at clubs of do we require vaccine mandates and do we not require vaccine mandates? And we've seen clubs do it and we've seen clubs not do it. And there is no right or wrong answer. Um, but it is definitely something that uh, everybody is, is working through. And 
you know, it's, it's to some degree a balance of we want to keep everybody safe, we want to keep staff safe, but also this is, has to come from, from the members. So that is sort of a, a challenging issue, but I think the big challenging issue is the labor struggles. Uh, and that ties into the vaccine because if we put a mandate in, are we going to lose staff? And, um, you know, the labor struggles are, are here. They are real. Um, they are not going away. And it's not just a wage challenge. It's not just we pay more and uh, we are going to get people to stay. It is everybody during this pandemic, you know, we've really reached a, a point where we've all reflected on our lives and said, is this what we want to be doing? And or do we want to be doing something different? And how do we recalibrate ourselves coming out of COVID? And from you know the information that I've read, sort of the sweet spot of those those people mostly recalibrating are in the 25 to 30 year old range. Um, those people that are maybe in their first or second job and beyond a little bit beyond that, and they have some financial footing under them and saying, okay, now I can really assess my life. And then those other the other big group is uh, so 40, 45 plus or those people that, you know, we might say would have a midlife crisis um, and the pandemic is forcing everybody to have that midlife crisis, um, not the folks that are retiring, but th those people that, you know, are looking at their career and saying, okay, I can see the end of this. Is this what, how I want to be remembered? And so, you know, those people cut right across our clubs and, and it's a challenge. And so, we as clubs are working on how do we create better work-life balance? How do we look at retention programs to, to keep staff and recruitment programs? And I know you've done podcasts on this and we've done webinars on this and this is the topic of the day, but it's, it is not going away. Some other things that maybe aren't so negative um, or you know, let's look at some of the positives. One is outdoors. Um, if your club has outdoor space, Boy, outdoors are going gangbusters, and I don't think any of us see that going away or that retreating. And it goes to, to not just golf and tennis and swimming and all that. It goes to our city clubs. Um, during LLC, we were at the Metropolitan Club, and they had just uh, opened their rooftop uh, deck. And, you know, it is beyond go, the, the number of members that are going there is beyond um, what they ever expected. And it is certainly a cool space. And while they didn't develop this during the pandemic, they had this in the works um, prior. It just shows how we have to make use of, of the outdoors. I, I think some other things that are coming out of COVID that we'll see how they develop. And this sort of the one is wellness. And it ties back into what I said about CSFA is we are all much more focused on our physical um, fitness, what we eat, um, how we live our lifestyle, that mindfulness and all of that. And so how does all this roll into together to create uh, a, 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 the, the club being that core focus area to help our members be, be better or help that wellness for our members? And so I think this is a huge, huge opportunity. Um, for us because all the components of wellness fit into the club and I'm not sure there's really ever a spot um, in society that that all these things come together so I see that very positive for clubs one of the other things that I think is positive as well is clubs have stepped back and really reassessed 
how much of their focus is on their members during pandemic and how much is on outside business. And uh, the older model of clubs or the traditional model of clubs is leveraging that outside business uh, and up to a, the point you can based on the, the tax structure and the type of club you are. And I think during the pandemic, we really reverted back to focusing on members. And now that we've been in that mindset, I think all of us are saying, wow, this really works and this is really why we exist. And so how much of that outside business do we want to pull in? And so there's a recalibration going on and, and that is very deliberate and very strategic and gives us the ability as clubs to, to bring in the business that makes sense and really is helps the membership, whether it be a, you know, a connection to the members or support the club or whatever. And so I think that is um, um, you know, very positive. And I think that the last item is that uh, money has still been cheap to get out there. And so we've seen a lot of club projects be accelerated um, during the, the pandemic in the sense of capital improvement projects. And, you know, we're seeing the fruits of that as we come out of the pandemic. And I think all of those, you know, really create a positive story um, for our clubs going forward. Yes, we have labor struggles. And yes, we are all as a society dealing with the pandemic. But I think we are well positioned in the hospitality realm um, to, to be the place to be just as we have been during the pandemic as we are that that safe venue and safe place. And, um, you know, I see the future as very bright. And, you know, I think our members largely see, you know, while they have some some current struggles, they see the future as very bright, which I think all of us, if you told us we were going to have a pandemic five years ago, and we were going to, our economy was going to be, you know, crazy for a couple of years, how would clubs come out of that? I think probably to a person, most people would say, you know, we're really going to struggle. We're really going to have a hard time. But, you know, the opposite is true. And I applaud the, the members and I applaud the boards of clubs because we really all pivoted and, and evolved very quickly to deal with what was in front of us and, and make the most of this environment. So, um, you know, from my standpoint, and what do they say? The future is bright. You need to wear shades. Is that what, how that song goes? So, uh, As long as they're green. Yeah, I was going to say, you need to find your green pair of shades. <laughs> I, I, I do have a green pair of shades. <laughs> you do. You do. I know you misplaced them for a little while, but we have those back. So, yeah, I definitely, you know, I think your your points there are spot on. And I know we've talked about it here on the podcast as well as that, just that membership renewed interest. And you know, for those of us who are kind of economic junkies and and uh, kind of look at comparing what we've been through to the to the last recession, the 09 recession, and the impact on clubs, I was just uh, fulfilling a request for a member related to this and the comparison because we actually do have some from some good data from that year as well that you know um, the kind of membership hits that clubs have. In the negative, then we are seeing way in the positive today with the, the increase in Absolutely. member interest and uh, the increase in waiting list. And that, of course, comes with its own challenges and opportunities of how to maintain interest for those folks while they're waiting to join the club. So, um, yeah. but, you know, definitely great opportunities for our members and our association. So thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. We always appreciate having you on the podcast. We look My pleasure. To it's great to be with you all.
Yes, I was going to say. I, I look forward to it as well. Maybe well, after after conference. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Jeff. Go ahead. Kyle, what's your favorite 80s movie? <sighs> Melissa, this is such a loaded question, and I feel like I have several answers. Number one, I'm really bad at favorites, so picking just one is impossible. Um, but to save myself... Okay, maybe there's there's two. I have two favorites. <laughs> I was going to say three, but that's a franchise that started before the 80s, so I was going to give myself an out and not count Star Wars. Um, but my two favorites are Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark and a late 80s rom-com gem that I feel is the best rom-com ever made. And no one, you can't fight me on this because it is indisputable fact. The classic Nora Ephron vehicle when Harry met Sally. Those are my favorite 80s movies. What about you? Oh, you know, I am, I'm very torn on, on, uh, I'm picking a favorite because, you know, there's really not an 80s movie that I don't like. Uh, but I would say probably, um, a, my favorites are a combination of Karate Kid, Heather's, and The Breakfast Club. But oh, so you know, choices. and 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 but you can't. And then Saint Elmo's Fire. I mean, like I said, See? I can't. I just can't pick. Like it's it's too hard. Goonies is on my list too. I love Goonies. It was my uncle's favorite favorite movie. So we watched it a lot every time we would visit. Goonies was on. Um, so that's got to be on my list, too. I mean, we could clearly go on all day about our favorite movies from from the decade in which I was born. Um, <laughs> but that's not what we're here to talk about. I mean, we are here to talk a little bit about 80s, 80s movies and 80s pop culture. But we are really excited to welcome Chris Clues to the podcast. Chris spoke with us at LLC um, he was our featured leadership speaker, and he is an author and a speaker who lives by the quote from our everyone's favorite poet laureate, Ferris Bueller, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. Uh, so here we are, situated in the 80s. <laughs> it was a magical time for creativity, invention, individuality, and pop culture. Um, and all of those things taught us valuable workplace lessons, which I don't think most of us would expect. Workplace lessons, really. Um, the best lessons from our workplace and our lives often come from the most unexpected of places. In the era of parachute pants, padded shoulders, neon, and members-only jackets, most certainly qualifies. So, is 80s pop culture really imbued with timeless lessons for leaders? Yes. And Chris is going to share some totally awesome totally awesome and rad uh, leadership and workplace lessons from none other than, as we discuss in the interview, philosopher Jeff Spicoli in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, we don't get to cover Prince Akeem from Coming to America or John Bender in The Breakfast Club. Those who were at LLC got to hear about that. Um, but we do get to talk about a lot of 80s pop culture characters and icons. So we're going to dive right in with a conversation about I think everyone in the club industry is like, maybe not favorite movie, but certainly the most maybe relatable, <laughs> Caddyshack. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Chris Clues. 
We are so excited to have Chris Clues here with us uh, to talk more about the 80s because, you know, Kyle and I can't get enough of the 80s personally, but it's really awesome to find a way how this dovetails in professionally into what our club managers are looking for. So, you know, thank you so much, Chris, for being with us. Thank you, Melissa, for having me. It means so much to me that you uh, asked me to be on the podcast um, after I presented a few weeks ago. I am uh, honored to be here, and I always love talking 80s. Well, I, we really enjoyed reading your most recent book um, about 80s pop culture. And, you know, one of the things that really stuck out to me um, in terms of our members is the, the movie Caddyshack. And obviously for our members, it has a special place in their hearts. I can't imagine there's a single listener that doesn't at least know the basic story and characters from that movie um, and certainly how it, it meets into our uh, industry. You know, right now, um, our managers are facing a lot of workplace challenges. You know, we're talking about labor challenges. We're talking about managing multifunctional and generational teams. Um, and so, you know, Chris, what made you really look to the 80s for those business answers? Yeah, so, uh, wow, so many reasons why. But I think for me, obviously, being a kid of the 80s, I'm very nostalgic for the time. And I really felt like there was a lot of great content that was created and developed in the 80s. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, and I wanted to go back to that content because I thought maybe there's something else in here. Besides just the pure entertainment of it, I felt like all the great stories, all the great characters in the 80s, there's gotta be something else in here that we can learn uh, for the workplace, our organization, our lives. I, I, I believe that the 80s, and I'm, I may be a little biased, but two things I believe about the 80s. One is that I always explain the creativity in the 80s is kind of like uh, somebody took a glitter bomb and threw it against the wall and all these awesome colors came out. And uh, that was all of the different genres of music that kind of exploded in the 80s or were created in the 80s, all the different types of movies. And so I really do feel like when I look back, I think about that glitter bomb against the wall. And then the second thing is we'll use the wall analogy again. The idea of throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks, is, as they say, and I believe that the 80s was the last time that pop culture uh, was pop culture wasn't manufactured. So what I mean by that is that if you go back and you look at 80s pop culture, you look at the movies, the music, the television, but mostly the movies and the music, there's a lot of experimentation going on. And I, we got to like the mid 90s and I feel like everything started to become packaged. Well, we're going to spend all this money up front to promote this movie, promote this music, promote this musician or this actor or actress, we gotta make our money back somehow. And so you are going to like it. And we're gonna pound you over the head until you do. And I just, maybe I'm biased a little bit with the 80s, but I feel like that's when the change happened after the 80s where we got this kind of packaged, manufactured uh, pop culture. And if I can give you one example of that, if you go back and you just Google any week of any year of any month in the 80s, Google June, week of June 20th, 1985, Go look at the top 40, and it could be any week. Go look at the top 40. See, I think Kyle's going to actually go look now. So go look at the top 40 music, and here's what you're going to see. And I hope I don't sound like an old fuddy-duddy about the music all sounding the same today because I know that's not the case. But if I look at the top 40 today, there's really like one or two basic genres. And every so often we'll have like a breakthrough song that comes through that's very different. You go back to the 80s and you look at that week, any week, you'll see Willie Nelson, 
next to Michael Jackson, next to Motley Crue, next to LL Cool J, next to Debbie Gibson, and then we'll just throw in like the cure of Depeche Mode. <laughs> there was something for everybody. And I think that comes from the idea of not manufacturing and packaging everything beforehand, but actually throwing it out there and seeing what the people want. And, uh, and that's what I really, that's what draws me to 80s pop culture so much. I can confirm what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. I mean, yeah. I think I just looked at, at that random date and I believe that we have, we have Brian Adams, Phil Collins, Prince, uh, Katrina and the Waves, and then like, let's see who else is here. Cool in the gang. There's a little bit of everything mixed in there. Yeah, and all different types of songs too. So you're probably seeing a ballad mm-hmm. next to a dance song, next to, you know, maybe there probably is a country song or some sort of country. It wasn't too much country back then, but maybe Kenny Rogers or Willie Nelson. And you're seeing like, even within the music, you're seeing different types of songs. So uh, yeah, I think that's why I keep going back to the eighties. And I also believe again, that the characters and the story development, remember with the movies, there was really a, very few ways for them to make money off of the movies. You, you hit the box office, and if you go back and you look at E.T., I think E.T. was at the box office for almost 58 weeks, which is insane. I mean, we think about movies now, they're here and gone in three weeks. Why? Because there's all these alternative ways for them to make their money. Back then, you had the box office. Then HBO kind of came in, and maybe 12 months later, you're, you're a big enough movie, you're on HBO, and then the video store. And you initially before Blockbuster, you had these small video stores. They had three or four copies of the movie, and that was it. Uh, that was it for making their money back in terms of the box office. And so they they had a, an incentive to tell a great story, and an incentive to have great characters, memorable characters, uh, because there just wasn't really an option. I mean, you know, there's very few ways to make your money back. Absolutely. I mean, that's what made George Lucas a genius when he kept all the merchandising rights to Star Wars. And that's how they made all their money back was like making figurines and toys and all those things. So there you go. Yeah, they're doing okay today. Yeah, I think they're all right. I We maybe have heard of Lucasfilm or Star yeah. Wars. It's a thing. I don't know. That's Star Wars thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, I obviously clearly could talk about pop culture junk forever and ever. Um <laughs> <laughs> Melissa mentioned Caddyshack, um, yeah. and she says that, the, you know, the first quote in your book is from a character in Caddyshack. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about what that quote is and what made it stand out for you? Yeah, so the first quote is from Ty Webb, who was played by Chevy Chase. I think most of your listeners probably know that. And he had a quote where he said, I'm going to give you a little advice. There's a force in the universe that makes things happen. And all you have to do is get in touch with it, stop thinking, let things happen, and be the ball. Now, in the movie, I think we'll say that Ty considered himself maybe like a kind of a Zen philosopher of sorts. Uh, And we see this time and time again in the movie. But in that moment, he's talking to Danny. And uh, Danny is struggling a little bit with where he wants his life to go. He's struggling with, hey, I'm I'm a caddy, but I want so much more out of this. My, my family doesn't have the money to send me to school. There's an opportunity through Judge Schnell's, uh, uh foundation, which, you know, he really was going to have to do some things he didn't want uh, to do to get to get the opportunity from the foundation there. And at that moment, he just wasn't sure where his life was going. Now, in that scene, of course, he's talking to him about golf in front of him, the golf swing in front of him. But I felt like it was bigger than that, that even though 
even though Ty was, you know, could be a little uh, cheesy, I guess, with the things that he said in the movie, he was talking to him a little bit deeper about life in general and that idea of be the ball, that you trust your gut, trust your judgment, and trust yourself. And those are three things that, that you know, sometimes it takes a while for us to get to that point where we actually trust ourselves. It took me a while in certain areas. Some areas from a very young age, I trusted myself. Other areas, it took me years into my 40s before I actually trusted myself on some things. I was actually, you know, looking at it and saying, be the ball. Yes, I can actually be the ball. There's another reference to that in 80s pop culture. My favorite TV show in the 80s was Magnum P.I. And uh, I still watch it. I still watch the old one. I love it. Robin, Ma Robin Master is one of the great characters of all time, in my opinion, in television. And Magnum used to say, that little voice inside of me was telling me. And that's another way to look at it. Like, you have this voice inside of you, and it's talking to you all the time. And it's telling you things. And you have to listen to it and trust it. It's your life. You know, you know best what's, what's best for you, what decisions you should make. That whole idea of Robert Frost, you come to two paths in a wood, and which one do you take? I'm going to take the one less traveled, right? Sometimes you want to take the one that's more traveled. I don't know. It's up to you. But this idea that you make those choices for you, you can be the ball. And that's what I mean when I talk about these 80s movies and how Caddyshack is just pure entertainment. It's one of those movies that comes on. I will watch it for the 500th time when it's on. And I'll laugh just as hard and probably harder at some things that I didn't maybe didn't catch the 498th time around. But I go back and look at these movies now and I say, wait a minute, there's things to be learned in them. And that's a great example, I think. Yeah, actually, that brings us to our next question perfectly. Um, like what can you point to one or two other lessons from Caddyshack that you think could help managers and leaders within the workplace? Sure. There's one that I talked about at the uh, at, at the event, at the conference. And uh, this one is. Well, I mean, I guess I said that, you know, Robin Masters was one of my favorite characters uh, from television. And I'll tell you that there were a number of characters in Caddyshack that I could say were just classic. And nobody could ever be these characters. If they try to remake Caddyshack, I'm going to get very upset. Uh, just like I get upset when they remake Patrick Swayze movies, I get so upset when they remake them. I'm like, just re-release them with Patrick Swayze. Why? Why? Why are we doing this? Uh, so one of the great characters in Caddyshack is Carl Spackler, played by Bill Murray, you know, our lovable <laughs> knucklehead of a groundskeeper, greenskeeper. And uh, what's really interesting with him is that he has that great scene that I think everybody knows where he is talking about becoming a master's champion and he's lopping off the flower heads <laughs> in front of the, uh, the club entrance and he's pretending that he is going to be the master's champion. And he says, Cinderella story, out of nowhere, former groundskeeper, now about to become the Masters champion. That scene is hilarious, but when you really think about that, and you think about Carl Spackler, and you think about the Masters champion, the idea that solutions can come from anyone in an organization, to expand that circle of trust. Now, the circle of trust is not an 80s movie. Great movie nonetheless, Meet the Parents, incredible movie. Uh, maybe it feels like it could have been an 80s movie. Story for another day topic for another day. Uh, but the circle of trust, uh, really important, expanding that circle of trust that solutions can come from anyone. Talk a little bit about this with the Lost Boys, um, how the and the Lost Boys, the two Frog Brothers, didn't look like they could solve a problem, but they were the problem solvers. And it, problem solvers don't come in a one-size-fits-all package. And too often, when we don't expand that circle of trust, when we don't realize that solutions can come from anyone, that anybody can be our master's champion, 
We go to the same, we go to that same well, so to speak, the person with the right title, the person who has the most experience, the person who we maybe trust the most for whatever reason. And when we do that, sometimes we, we wonder why it takes so long to solve a challenge in our organization, why we're struggling with a problem inside of our organization. Open it up to everybody. You'd be surprised how many masters champions you actually have in your organization. And some of them may be just introverts. They don't, they're not going to talk in a meeting. They're not going to speak up. You know, sometimes it's a matter of taking them one-on-one -on -one and saying, hey, I've got a question for you. Here's what we're struggling with. Yeah, can you go back and think about that and see if you have some ideas, some fresh ideas for us? Because we're just struggling with it. Give somebody that opportunity. It's about like the head coaches talk about head coaches, how you have, you know, on a football team, you have 53 guys and you've got to coach these guys very differently based on their personalities and their backgrounds. And it's the same thing with the, with the club employees. And, uh, you know, treat it a little differently. Have one-on-ones if somebody's not, if they're a little bit of an introvert, but expand that circle of trust, solutions can come. I love that. I, I think that's a stellar nugget that, that, you know, we have to do, you know, certainly in these chaotic times where solutions really can come from any member of your staff. I know one of the other stories that really resonated with our members at our leadership and legislative conference was about Prince. Can you share that story with our listeners? Oh yeah, I love Prince. Prince, uh, so Prince is my favorite, I would say he's my favorite musician of all time. He then became one of my favorite human beings of all time when I heard this story. And so in 1987, Prince was the king of music. He was doing everything. Uh, he was obviously, we know him as a performer, but behind the scenes, he was writing music for Sinead O'Connor, He Nothing Compares to You, uh, The Bangles, Manic Monday, and a whole host of other songs that he wrote for people. And the, of course, Purple Rain, he did the entire, you know, composed the movie, everything. And uh, yeah, he was, he was, you know, known by one name. If you're known by one name and then a symbol at some point around the world, you've probably done something right. And uh, Suzanne Vega was a, an alt singer at the time. And I really liked Suzanne Vega because at the time I was listening to college radio. I mean, I was a senior in high school, so that's what you do. You're like, I got to get prepared for college, so I'm going to listen to some college radio. And uh, I was listening to college radio, so I'd heard her song Left of Center. And then she came out with a song called My Name is Luca. And if you've heard this song, it's a very powerful song about child abuse. My name is Luca. I live on the second floor. I live upstairs from you. You get it, right? I mean, I'm not going to karaoke for you because, as I say in my presentations, people will just tune out if I start singing. It's so bad. Uh, so Suzanne Vega has a song, My Name is Luca. And Prince heard her song. And he was so moved by it that he actually penned a handwritten note to her. And that handwritten note said, Dear Suzanne, Luca's the most compelling piece of music I've heard in a long time. There are no words to tell you all the things I feel when I hear it. I thank God for you, Prince. It's pretty awesome. I mean, it's really awesome. And his handwriting, you can't see the note right now, but if you were at the conference, the handwriting is magical. He was using numbers for words in 1987. So, I mean, maybe he was a time traveler as well. We could just add that to the resume. And uh, we know this because in 2016, when he passed away, Suzanne Vega put this note on her social media to let people know the kind of guy Prince was behind the scenes. Because that's not something that he would have gone to the media with, like a lot of people would have done. Look what I'm doing. He just did it. There was no digital means to get this to her. He couldn't email it to her. Uh, there was no social media. So, you know, there was no ability for anybody else to share it. Not that he would have anyway, because that's not, wasn't in his nature to do. Uh, but he couldn't, he had to have somebody get it to her. There had to be an extra step that was taken to get this handwritten note to her. 
And so what he taught us here is, a, is the, the difference between rulers and leaders. When rulers get the stage of success, they tend to keep everybody below it. Leaders share the stage. And that was the difference between you know, what he did and what others do. He said, he saw somebody doing something great and he said, I see your greatness, I see the greatness in you and I wanna let you know from this huge stage that I have, I will share this stage with you. You know, if not physically at that time, emotionally, he was sharing that stage with her and letting her know, you can be up here with me. You're that good. I see greatness in you. Rulers keep everybody below the stage. They don't want to share it. A lot of times because they haven't earned that stage like Prince did. So they don't want to be challenged. They don't want to be questioned. They surely don't want to share that space in fear that that space may be taken over by somebody who actually knows what they're doing or that is better than that. Leaders recognize that there's other people doing great things as well, and they share that stage. And the other thing he taught us was that encouragement doesn't cost a thing. You think about this, 2016, that was 29 years later, she had held on to that note, and then she shares it in 2016. Because she wanted people to know the guy Prince was behind the scenes, of course, but you don't think that that had any kind of self-confidence, uh, provided any kind of self-confidence there, do you? I mean, getting a handwritten note from your mentor, or somebody, I should say maybe he wasn't her mentor, but somebody that you might have looked up to in your industry and said, wow, look what they're doing. Of course it did. You know, we all get that. If, I, if my mentor tomorrow or somebody I looked up to, I got a handwritten note from them saying, hey, I see you doing great things. Yeah, that would give me a boost of encouragement. And it doesn't cost a thing. We can't always give raises, bonus and, bonuses, and promotions, but we can give encouragement every single day. And we don't need to be a leader to do that. You can do that to anybody, your family, your friends, anyone. You can provide encouragement today. Doesn't cost a thing. I love that, and the, I, I totally believe in the value of just that that what, that time to take recognition and um, and even a handwritten note. Certainly in today's day and age, versus an email or a tweet or you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So uh, you know, great piece. So what's a movie or a character from a movie that surprised you in terms of the lessons it could teach us? <laughs> Jess Piccoli. Hands down, I think Jess Piccoli shocks everybody when you think about, you know, what he could actually uh, teach us for for the workplace and for life. And I touched on one of these in the presentation uh, where he, you know, I talk about the relationship that he had with Mr. Hand, the American history teacher, and um, how he uh, always had, he had trouble getting to class on time. He, you know, Mr. Hand hated tardiness, but Piccoli was always late. And he finally asked him, why are you always late to my class? And he says, I don't know. And Mr. Hand says, I like that. I don't know. I'm going to put that on the chalkboard for all my classes to see, giving you full credit, of course. Coley is super happy about getting credit for something in school. But the, the idea of I don't know, we always were told that it's a sign of weakness and vulnerability to say I don't know, especially in, in, in our jobs, our careers, our workplace. Like, what do you mean you don't know? You should know every answer to every question. How do you not know? And so people tended to make things up. And, you know, that's not good when you're, number one, when you're talking to a client, a guest, or, you know, a guest in a, in a club, you certainly don't want to make something up. A member of a club, you don't want to make something up when, you, when you're talking to a member. You know, other industries like pharmaceuticals and financial services, no, no, you do not make stuff up. That gets everybody in a lot of trouble, uh, and, and that's a really bad thing. But going back to just the idea of I don't know, uh, it's okay to say I don't know. It's actually honest and transparent, and we need a lot more of that in our world today. We need a lot more honesty and a lot more transparency, and saying I don't know is a sign of strength and confidence and character. You're admitting that you don't know, and that's okay, and it's actually a good thing. 
you know, we have these phones in our hand, these Google machine in our hand now that if somebody can find out really quickly, Kyle did it earlier, you know, she went in and looked at the top 40 from uh, June 20th or whatever, 85. And sure enough, you know, what I said was, was reality, but we can fact check people right in our hands now. And um, that can lend to credibility issues if you're not telling the truth or if you're trying to manufacture something, just so you don't know, you know, you want to caveat it with the, the idea of let me get back to you, I'll get the answer, you know, that kind of thing. You don't want to just say, I don't know, and just walk away. You certainly want to let people know you're going to get the answer for them. Uh, as, I, as I say, you know, th there's Seinfeld, which was not an 80s uh, show, well, one season, but uh, there's, a, there's a great scene where George has met a girl and he says, I, you know, I think I'm going to say I love you. And he says, George Jerry says, really? And she says, he says, yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to say it. He said, well, okay, because are you sure about the return I love you? Because that's a pretty big matzo ball hanging out there. And uh, I think when you say, I don't know, without caveat, and if that's a pretty big matzo ball hanging out there, you definitely want to make sure somebody knows you're going to go get the answer. But do not be afraid to say, I don't know. Nobody knows everything. I totally agree. I think saying, admitting you don't know something in a situation where there's like, you know, pressure for you to give an answer shows a, like a degree of not just vulnerability, but also like humility in a way to say, like, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not, you know, I'm not perfect, but as you said, I will go figure it out for you. Um, and I think it all, Melissa always likes to say, you know, I want to give people grace saying, I don't know is giving yourself grace to say, yeah. I don't have the answer to that, but this is an opportunity for me to learn, so I'll figure it out. I love that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, Spicoli was, you know, he taught us one other, if I have a minute, to tell you this one, too, as well. So, you know, we talk about uh, Spicoli and Mr. Hand again, and he's given him his verbal exam for American history so he can go to prom, and he starts talking to him about Thomas Jefferson and the United States of America and how it came to be. And what Spicoli says when he's asked this question is, well, you know, what Jefferson was saying was, hey, you know, we left this England place because it was bogus. So if we don't get some cool rules ourselves, Prano, we'll just be bogus too. Get it? And of course, that's my, my Spicoli impression. <laughs> but of course, he, he's on to something here. And it's the idea of creating a cool workplace. And I don't mean cool in the sense that you have a ping pong table. That's not what I mean. It's more, it's deeper than that. It's making sure people feel comfortable where they work, that they feel like there's an open dialogue and an open conversation, that they can go to their leaders with issues that they have, that you have opportunities to advance, that you have good benefit packages, you know, that you take care of the people who take care of your club and take care of your organization and take care of your job, by the way, because if you're in leadership, all these other people, they're the ones who are going to keep you in your position by the job that they do every single day. That's really, really important. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, I say in the book, separated by 100 plus years and 100 plus points in their IQs, Jeff Spicoli and Thomas Jefferson both recognize that a bogus environment would create a lack of trust and eroding belief in the system and ultimately the loss of your best people. And I think it's never been truer than today. And so it's so important to make sure that you have a cool workplace and that's not ping pong tables. <laughs> it's much, much more than that. I totally agree. I totally yeah. agree. I think the point about having, you know, not a bogus workplace, I mean, as we're seeing it now with the great resignation after this pandemic, well, while we're still in it, whatever. During the pandemic, I think people have really started to evaluate what things 
they want and need from a place of work and what they're not willing to tolerate anymore. Um, and so you see a lot of people saying, you know what, I'm going to go find something different. I'm going to go find something that suits my needs better. Um, and you see that a lot. So I think that that point is is very timely for the environment in which we're existing now. Yeah, so Spicoli was on to something, for sure. Again. A great and, philosopher. And <laughs> Listen, the great, yeah. I, I, say that, I say that Ferris Bueller is the poet laureate. Uh, so I don't know, maybe yes, Spicoli's the great philosopher. But it goes it. back to the idea that some of the best lessons for your life and your workplace come from the most unexpected of places. And that's an unexpected place, Jeff Spicoli. <laughs> I don't think anyone probably would have picked him as being a, a great mind that he is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. So finally, what are the top five underrated 80s movies that everyone should see? You said you had some good ones in your list, so I'm excited to hear what they are. Yeah. So I would say that I would start with Vision Quest. Uh, phenomenal movie, great sports movie, uh, Matthew Modine, uh, really just a fun movie. If you're a fan of Jake Ryan from 16 Candles, which I know a lot of people are, uh, he was also in Vision Quest, played uh, his best friend, Matthew Modine's best friend. Loudon Swain is, Ma is Matthew Modine's name. And I, I never had kids, but I always thought if I did have a son, I would have named him Loudon for sure. Like Loudon Swain is such a cool name. Uh, great movie, great soundtrack. Back when, when movies had great soundtracks because every popular band and musician wanted to be on a movie soundtrack and so you've got great soundtracks in the 80s and this one is one of them highly recommend that by the way jake ryan is now uh he's a woodmaker uh he does woodwork he's like a he, he's like famous for doing this really great custom woodwork that's what he does yeah it's pretty cool so uh the next one i love 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 would be lucas uh, Lucas was, a, it's, it's, listen, it was way ahead of its time. Uh, there's some great movies, by the way, in the 80s that really focused on bullying way ahead of their time. I mean, Revenge of the Nerds is one that everybody kind of knows, right? The nerds win in the end. It's awesome. But uh, Lucas is a really, really great look at a kid who gets bullied in high school. And, uh, and, and it has, a, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a feel-good movie. I mean, it's a really, really great movie. Um, but a good cast as well. Really great, really great 80s cast. Uh, really just great themes in that movie. Uh, the next one I would tell you would be Three O'Clock High. Uh, another one, but a little darker comedy. Another one about bullying. Again, this kind of theme resonates in the 80s. Uh, this one, I really, um, I love this movie. And it's all shot on one day in one school. It's the kid, for those of us that grew up in the 80s, we had these high, we had school, school supply stores in our schools, a lot of us. That's where you got your like erasers that were shaped like aliens to put on your pencil and stuff like that. You ran out of paper, you went down to the school supply store. So the kid who runs the school supply store also is a, is a journalist for the school newspaper. And his name's Jerry Mitchell. And so Jerry, uh, there's a, there is a kid who is coming into the school. And this kid has been kicked out of a ton of other schools. And there's all he has this big, like, kind of reputation behind him. And uh, Jerry has been tasked with uh, doing an interview with the kid to try to find out, like, hey, you know, are these things true about you? And um, so Jerry, Jerry's in the bathroom, and there is Buddy Ravel, 
the kid who is the bully from the other schools, and he's in this black leather jacket, and Jerry says, hey, and he introduces himself, hey, buddy, you know, I've heard a lot of things about you. I want to do an article on you so people know the real Jerry, the real, real Buddy Ravel. And he puts his hand on his shoulder. And Buddy Ravel just looks at his hand and looks at him, and he says, nobody touches me. And he says, you and me are going to fight at 3 o'clock, and there's nothing you can do about it. And the entire movie is Jerry trying to get out of this fight. And uh, eventually what happens at the end, I won't tell you, but really great uh, kind of dark comedy. So another one that I would tell you that I think is underrated. Now, this one may be on some people's radars, uh, but another really underrated movie would be Better Off Dead. Yes. Okay. Very underrated. Uh, and it didn't really do great at the box office at all. It's become kind of a cult classic. John Cusack. Uh, I love this movie, too, because Diane Franklin, who played Monique, um, who when I was, I think that movie came out when I was 16, so I had a huge crush on her. She actually wrote the foreword for my book, my second book, which was a really cool moment for me. Yeah. That's amazing. Really awesome. Yeah. So I got to talk to her, and I told her, I said, you know, I got to tell you. Like, I was, you know, the right age. I was 16 years old. Huge crush. Um, and now even a huge, a bigger crush now that you're actually going to write the foreword for my book. So I really... I really appreciate that. So those are four underrated movies. If I was to think of like, um, if I was to think of a fifth underrated one, I would tell you this one again. It's probably on a lot of people's radar, but I think underrated nonetheless, and that's Roadhouse. Roadhouse. <laughs> yes. Roadhouse. Classic. Classic. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, just a classic one. Patrick Swayze. You can never go wrong with Patrick Swayze. Um, except for Dirty Dancing, but that's a whole other conversation. I have issues with the fact that you've never seen that movie. It's fine. I'm not taking it personally, but <laughs> yeah, it's so I, good. I just, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I can't. <laughs> you know the story. I can't do it. So okay. I, I will give you, I will give you like two or three quick bonus ones. I won't talk. Just we'll give you the names of them if that's cool. Okay, perfect. So uh, Heather's. Yes, Heather. Later, yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, if a day goes by that my mind doesn't think of a Heather's quote, <laughs> it's, it's not a good day. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah, whether a movie's quotable is is very important. Uh, Rad is another one. R A D. Rad. Great BMX movie. And the reason I love this movie is because uh, one of my favorite '80s movies was the theme song for it, "Send Me an Angel" by Real Life. Uh, just a great song. And, uh, and that kind of makes the movie. And then if you really want to watch one that has, I think, was way ahead of its time in terms of um, kind of socially conscious movies, uh, Hollywood Shuffle. Oh, I don't know. With Robert movie. Townsend. Robert Townsend actually cashed in all his credit cards because he couldn't get the film made. And uh, he cashed it in. And, you, and the, another reason you'll love this movie is some very, very young Wayans brothers are in this movie. Uh, we get introduced to Keenan. Damon's in it. I think Damon's in it. He uh, he was actually had a small part in Beverly Hills Cop before um, Hollywood Shuffle. Um, so uh, Hollywood Shuffle is a fantastic movie. And uh, just the fact that Robert Townsend cast in everything to make it because no one would make it. And he did it himself. Pretty awesome. Love it. All right. Well, well that's, a, that's a big list for us to get through. I was going to say, I have some movies yeah. to watch. And I want to go watch Just Heather yeah. now because yeah, I was gonna reasons. say I've been <laughs> since we planned this interview, I've been like I gotta watch Heather's. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, it's a, that's a great one. That's a classic. It's dark. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Go ahead, Melissa. Sorry. Can't thank you enough. <laughs> I was gonna say we could we could talk 80s all day. So, um, so many great nuggets. We can't thank you enough, Chris, for this. And um, we loved uh, this book, which is the second in your series. And I know you're working on another book, so we will stay tuned for that to be released very soon. Yeah, it's coming out. Third book. It'll have a lot of life lessons as well. Uh, vision, Vision Quest, Trading Places, and Can't Buy Me Love are the first three chapters. Can't Buy Me Love is so good. Can't wait for Can't Buy Me Love. We hope you enjoyed that interview as much as we enjoyed recording it. Oh and gosh. we are excited to announce a little contest opportunity. Contest. Uh, to, you can get a copy of Chris Clues' latest book, What the 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace, 10 More Iconic Movies, Even More Totally Awesome Business Lessons. That's book number two in the series, and that features the stories on Caddyshack, Coming to America, The Lost Boys, and Karate Kid. So Kyle, tell our listeners how they could win a copy of this book. I mean, you definitely want to win this totally awesome and rad book. So, like, to do it, just kidding, um, to, to win this book, <laughs> I'm having too much fun with this, to win this book, we want you to send us your favorite quote from an 80s movie and then tell us how that quote can be applied to club management or leadership in our industry. So it's a two-parter, right? You got to have the quote and you got to have the explanation. So we're looking for a little creativity here, a little outside of the box thinking, but we will determine who sends us the best answer and the winner will receive a copy of that book. Um, and we're pretty excited. Um, like I said, anytime we get to talk about 80s movies is a great time. So please share please share that with us. So send your responses to us at goodnews at cmaa.org. Super simple. Um, goodnews at cmaa.org. All right, Melissa, do we have any other announcements? We mentioned September was a busy month. We're looking down the barrel at fall. We have something on the horizon that is happening imminently, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it won't be long before we open registration for the World Conference and Club Business Expo. We are gonna be in sunny San Diego. February 19th through the 23rd at the San Diego Convention Center and the adjacent beautiful uh, Marriott Marquis, San Diego Marina. So we can't wait to see you all in person. We are we cannot wait to bring this event back to its in-person format and connect with all of our amazing industry. So stay tuned later this month. Uh, that is October. <laughs> we'll be opening registration and you'll get all the cool details on everything that's going down. So, but that yeah. about wraps us up for this edition. We appreciate you all joining us and don't forget to rate or review our podcast uh, wherever you're listening to us. Yes, there are several places. So we hope you're finding us somewhere. Obviously, if you're hearing this, you've found us in one place or another, but <laughs> we're grateful for all of our listeners. And uh, yeah, we look forward to coming to you again later this month with another episode. Uh, so stay tuned for that. We've, like I said, we've got some exciting things coming up around the corner. So for now, this was our September review. I'm Kyle. That's Melissa. And we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Take care, friends.